Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here, and I am thrilled to share with you the last sermon of this series, Everyday Prophecy. It has been so fun to journey through some of the prophets of old, from uh, Amos to uh, Elisha to Ezekiel and now Jeremiah. Uh, Today we draw from Jeremiah 23, uh, verses 1 through 6, as we see how Jeremiah spoke to the context of his time and how God might be inviting us to reclaim community as the vision for God's preferred future. Uh, Check out the sermon here. You know, I had uh, recently become the Director of Children's Rights Advocacy for the General Board of Church and Society of the United Methodist Church. Uh, This board is uh, more commonly known as the Social Justice or Advocacy Arm of the Church. Uh, We have offices literally across the street from the United Nations in New York and on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., And uh, the board is tasked to be the church's public witness in these halls of power. And so in some cases, uh, I was working directly with policymakers to pass legislation on things in my portfolio, like combating human trafficking and education reform. And my colleagues, they did the same for the issues that were in their portfolios. But in other cases, I would be with local congregations across the United States, across the world. I would help with mobilizing and organizing around different issues or causes. And I remember I was barely two months into my new position, and I was on the road. I had been invited by a friend to preach at the church that he was serving. And if I'm honest, I was pretty nervous. Uh, Part of it was because I was new to my position. I was still trying to figure out my role and how to do it well. Uh, Part of it was because I hadn't preached all that much up to that point. And part of it was because I didn't want to let my friend down. I wanted to make sure that he looked good to his congregation, that he knew what he was doing in inviting me to come and to teach and to inspire and to share. And so that Sunday comes and I, I walk up to the pulpit and I preach what I think is a solid sermon. It was from Exodus. It was about a a new king that came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph and in turn went on to enslave the people uh, he feared. I preached on how God heard the cries of God's people in Egypt and how God hears our cries. And I, I encouraged them to love each other, to get to know each other, to not let fear get in the way. It's actually a pretty good sermon. You get that one for free. That's a bonus for this morning. After the services, my friend and I, we go to lunch, and because I was arrogant and because I wanted the affirmation, I asked him, I said, hey, (laughs) so what'd you think? I'll never forget what he said. It stuck with me ever since. He goes, it was nice. I worked hard, and he said it was nice. He then went on to ask me, he said, hey, why do you think I invited you to preach in the first place? It wasn't simply because I happened to be his friend or he wanted a break or I happened to be in town. Uh, He invited me because he thought I had something challenging to say, that I could come in as a guest and preach the things that he couldn't preach, that my track record and my work in social justice had led him to believe that I could inspire in the hearts of his people a, a desire to speak out in the world. And he said, you're prophetic, so be prophetic. You're prophetic, so be prophetic. 
If I stopped and asked each one of you and said that to you directly, you're prophetic, so be prophetic, how does that land? How does that land? We're at the end of this uh, sermon series that we've been navigating for the past four weeks, Everyday Prophecy, and, and we've named that a prophet is one who is curious at the ways of the world and then who speaks power into the situations, right? We see this throughout Hebrew scriptures as prophets are raised up, but I, I think the challenge for us this morning and throughout this series has been to question how each of us and how we as a church can have that posture of curiosity and then to have the courage to speak out. Remember, Dr. Dan Clendenden, he says that prophets afflict the comfortable and the complacent, they disturb our status quo, question the reigning order of things, help us to see the normal state of affairs in a different light, and advocate a new way of living. So far we've looked at Amos and how a separation of church and state is vital for us to speak out against the powers of the day. And we turn to Elisha in 2 Kings, who, who fed a hundred men from a lens of oppression and liberation. And last week, we, we turned to Ezekiel, and we identified this posture of humility to be sent forth with the vision of God's preferred future. And today, we're going to close with Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is interesting, right? Unlike other prophets, unlike other texts, Jeremiah is unique because we get a glimpse of Jeremiah as a person, we actually get some biographical information of who he is, where he's from, who his parents are. But we're also invited inside Jeremiah's mind and emotions. We, we see the profound spiritual struggles that he wrestles with. Jeremiah is often referred to as the weeping prophet, weeping over the nation's self-destructive rebellion against God and weeping over all the devastation that happens around him for him to witness. Jeremiah was born uh, 645 BCE, which is important because of what is happening in the southern kingdom of Judah at the time. You see, Jeremiah is born under the rule of King Manasseh. King Manasseh is considered to be the worst king of Judah ever. And while he may have stabilized the rural economy, he also reversed the reforms that were begun by his father, the king before him, and he reestablishes local shrines and worship to foreign gods and to other gods. And soon after he dies, his grandson Josiah becomes king. He becomes king at the age of eight years old, and because he has a little bit of less pressure from the surrounding armies, Josiah is able to turn back God's people to God. He restores the temple in Jerusalem, and he enters into this new covenant with God to, to keep the commandments, to, to live faithfully. Now, here's where it gets bad. King Josiah, he dies in 609. And his son, Jehoaz, he reigns for three months. He, he disregards the, all the reforms of his father, and he's eventually kicked out by the Egyptian pharaoh. And his brother, Jehoiakim, takes over, continuing to undo his father's reform, and he's described as a godless tyrant. And it was under his rule 
that the Babylonians start to take over the region, and Jehoiakim waffles back and forth his allegiance between Egypt and Babylon, eventually leading to that first exile to Babylon. And his son, Jehoiakim, reigned only for three months, and his first and only act is to surrender to Babylon before he too is exiled. And finally, King Zedekiah, who is Jehoiakim's uncle, he's installed as a puppet king by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And this guy, King Zedekiah, ends up being the last king of Judah before the second exile, before Jerusalem falls, before the temple is finally destroyed. All this happens under Jeremiah's watch. And all this comes to a head in our text in chapter 23 as Jeremiah prophesies about the current state of God's people who are scattered and driven away. See, God's people are in exile. They are driven from the land that God had promised to their ancestors. And the temple This place where God had resided is now destroyed. And the people are lost. They're not just physically lost, a people without a homeland. They are a people who is lost in their faith, separated from God. Where are you, God? How could you let this happen to us? What happens now? And God responds with this indictment. Verse 1, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Woe to them. Blame falls on them. These kings who are supposed to shepherd, to, to care for, to attend and nurture and lead with justice and mercy as their guide, woe to them, for they have destroyed and scattered the sheep. Some of you may have followed the story of uh, Pope Francis in Canada over the past week. Uh, He was there to apologize to the indigenous peoples for the horrors and the abuses in these church-run residential schools. Uh, They say that more than 150,000 indigenous children in Canada uh, were taken from their homes and placed in these schools, leading to physical, sexual, and emotional abuse and an effort to wipe out indigenous culture and spirituality. Let me just say the point of this morning is not not go into the details of the effectiveness of the Pope's apologies. What what, what breaks my heart is the fact that these 150,000 children and the thousands more, including those sent to the 15 schools here in Washington State, I'm thinking about these kids, and I'm wondering if they too cried out, where are you, God? How could you let this happen to us? What happens now? And I'm thinking about those who are oppressed by systemic and institutional racism, those in need of affordable housing, victims of increased gun violence and mass shootings, victims and survivors of rape and domestic abuse and violence. I'm thinking about the 20% of high school students in the U.S. who have reported serious thoughts of suicide, the 9% who have made an attempt to take their lives, the 1.8 million of them who identify as LGBTQ youth. Where are you, God? How could you let this happen to us? What 
happens now. Let me be clear about something. I am not making the connection suggesting that any of us are the shepherds who have destroyed or scattered the sheep. But you better believe that each of us is part of the culture and system that puts and keeps these shepherds in those positions of power. And you better believe that we can do something about it. See, what I love about this text is that it reminds us of God's community in God's preferred future. We start with this judgment of these kings and leaders who have operated from a place of selfishness, a, a desire to put their power and authority first to disregard the good of the people. But as we continue through this text, we, we see that God reclaims the people, that God draws them back into right relationship. Verse 1, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Verse 2, thus says the Lord concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people. It is you who have scattered my flock. Verse 3, then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock and they shall be fruitful and multiply. God is reminding them that they are God's people. That they are a people of a different way. A way of faithfulness and justice and mercy and love, and right relationship. Hold, God is reminding us that we are God's people, that we are a people of a different way, a way of faithfulness, and justice, and mercy, of love, and of right relationship. And God declares that there is a better way. At the end of our text, we, we read of this new king who will deal wisely, who shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And we hear that the name by which he will be called is the Lord is our righteousness. Remember back when we went through the kings of Judah and I mentioned Zedekiah, the last king, the last king of Judah? His name meant the Lord is righteous. Did you note that difference? The last king of Judah, the Lord is righteous. The new king to come, the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is righteous. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is righteous over there. The Lord is our righteousness. There's this intentionality in naming and claiming that we are God's people. Look, the, the, the prophet doesn't simply mean speaking out against the ways of the world. It's important, and we need to be doing that. But it also requires a complete shift in the lens with which we see the world. It means claiming that there is a different way, that we would have the imagination to dream of God's preferred future. It means being open to the possibilities to trust that God is and will be our righteousness, all of our righteousness, so that someday, soon and very soon, all might know God's hope and God's peace and God's love and God's joy 
Church, you are prophetic, so be prophetic. You are prophetic, so be prophetic. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbled by the opportunity and the challenge and the inspiration to be your people, to be the people called to go out into the world, to live boldly into our faith. We pray that you would give us the courage to see the world as is, to claim that that is not the way it has to be, and to dream of the possibilities of a world to come. Journey with us through all of that, for it is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that was the last sermon of this series, Everyday Prophecy. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have uh, in putting it together um, and find ways that you too might be an everyday prophet uh, to look out into the world with curiosity and to speak truth to power uh, as we live towards God's uh, preferred future of hope and peace and justice and love. Um, this week at Bothell, we uh, encouraged our community to invite a friend or someone they know to the many gatherings that are happening uh, this summer uh, here locally at Bothell or whatever's happening in the community. We hope you'll take a moment to do the same, that you will invite uh, somebody you know uh, into relationship, into uh, these places and spaces of community that we can continue to grow in the ways that we care for one another and the ways that we do life together. Have a wonderful, wonderful week and we'll talk to you soon.